Hello, everyone, and welcome to BibleQuest.tv, the Tuesday edition. We're glad you're able to join us today on this wonderful Tuesday afternoon. My name is Drew DeGrotto. I'm your host, and I'd like to uh, bring in our panelists, uh, Scott, Scott Smelter, our program director. Hi, Scott. Are you there? Uh oh, Scott, are you there? I see no video. I hear no sound. I see you, Jonathan. Are you there, Jonathan? Uh, yeah, I'm here. I think Scott Scott just uh, got back and unmuted himself. There you go. Hey, Scott. How you doing, Scott? I was having trouble finding my unmute and unstop buttons. Found it. Sorry. I hate when that happens, that unstop button. <laughs> Glad everyone's joining us today. If you're coming in on the Zoom app, um, please use the Q&A button or the chat button, little icons on the screen there and enter in your, any uh, questions or comments you have. We're gonna have a controversial subject that we'll be talking about today. So please, we invite you to participate in the discussion with your comments and questions. Um, and if you're coming in on the Facebook page, we're broadcasting live on Scott's Facebook page, please use the comment box. Now keep in mind, for those of you coming in on Facebook, that we are about, well, Facebook is about 18 seconds behind. There's a delay on Facebook. Whereas on the Zoom app, there is no delay. So either way, we're glad you're here today. Oh, one more thing. Uh, a lot of people download the audio version, the podcast after the recording. So we also want to extend a welcome to you if you're listening to this program uh, and, and on the podcast. And at, at any time, if anyone has a question or comment, please go to BibleQuest.tv and enter a question, comments, or whatever it is you'd like us to talk about. So today... We're going, we got a, a question that came in from a viewer a few weeks ago, and, and he says, can you talk about Calvinism? So Scott, why don't you take us, take it away there. What, what is Calvinism? What are we talking about here? All right. Um, okay, it says, I cannot share screen while other participant is sharing. Well, let me stop my share. Hold on a second. Good. Now we're good to go. You All should right. be good to go now. All right, so this is what we're going to be talking about, uh, Calvinism, and there's an acronym that it's known by. Uh, it's, it's TULIP, and we're not going to spend a lot of time defining these words, but we kind of need to know what they mean so that we can talk about it. Calvinism is, is a theory. Can you see the book? It's, no, you're looking at the screen. I'll show you the book in a minute. So Calvin was lived back around the time of Luther, uh, and his teachings led to old line Presbyterian churches and, and has affected a lot of other churches as well. Uh, some of his ideas came from Augustine and some of his ideas, I think before that came from Gnosticism, but without getting all into that, we want to concern ourselves with what does the Bible say? And, and Calvinism misrepresents the biblical teaching. The five points that they will use this acronym TULIP to describe it, stand for total depravity, unconditional election, limited atonement, irresistible grace, and perseverance of the saints. Not all of them like the next phrase, but people will often describe this, and people who will believe in this view will, this last view will often describe it this way, once saved, always saved. So just real quickly, let's say what these are. What do they mean by total depravity? Well, depravity means evil right you're, you're, you're evil if you put the word total in front of it means you're totally bad totally evil is that what it's saying yeah yeah you're totally uh, bad. Total, total depravity is rooted 
Sorry, yeah. Um, sure. I was going to say, total depravity is rooted in uh, sin, and I think the idea of Adam's sin, the first sin, and that all people are are completely sinful um, in almost every way. Uh, anything that you do is sin and evil. Uh, you're incapable of good. Type yeah, of idea. incapable of doing anything good. Rather than realizing that people can do good things and can do bad things. And most people in their life have done some good things, but they've also done bad things. Calvinism says you can't do anything but bad things. So the quotes that I'm going to be using are from this book. This is the five points of Calvinism by a Calvinist. So this is not a book against Calvinism. This is a book, you know, teaching Calvinism. It's by Edwin Palmer. And he is, uh, let me tell you who he is. He was the executive secretary of the new international version, the NIV. So if you've ever heard people talk about that the NIV has some Calvinist slanting in it, well, understand who was, you know, people responsible for the NIV. Uh, he was executive secretary for the NIV, and he was the general editor of the NIV study Bible. So he's a prominent Calvinist. Any questions before we go on? That uh, illustration on the cover is not the author. That is an illustration. John of Calvin. Okay. That would be that would be a representation of John Calvin from the 1500s. Yeah. John Calvin lived in the 1500s. All right. So I'm going to let him describe what uh, total depravity is. He says it doesn't mean that you are as bad as you possibly could be. For example, he says. When boys lie, they often tell little lies. The lies could be worse. When children hurt each other, they do it by laughing, hitting, shoving. But they could have gouged out their eyes with scissors. So he's saying total depravity doesn't mean you're as horrible as you possibly could be. You couldn't have acted any worse. But he says what it is, it is only and always sin. So if a little boy shoves and laughs at a little old lady, it would be what? Sin. If he robs her purse, it would be what? Sin. Sin. And if he helps her across the road, it would be what? According to total depravity, sin. Yeah, because yeah. according to Calvinism, everything you do, unless you want to be elect, everything you do is sin. So if, if you bought, if the little old lady was homeless and you bought her a sandwich, that would be? Sin. No, 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 that can't be, Scott. That's oh, it's, not, it's not true, but they, they teach this. So I'm going to read from this page here. It says, positively, it is only and always sin. Only and always sin. Without, without exception. Yeah, it is a total inability to do or understand or desire good. Number one, man cannot do the good. Number two, man cannot understand the good. Number three, man cannot desire the good. Now, he acknowledges that there's something called relative good, that compared to other people, you might do something that looks better than other people, but that's still um, evil and wicked. So, for instance, he talks about Albert Schweitzer. Uh, Albert Schweitzer is an example of one who denied biblical Christianity, uh, but, and he did good things. He went to Africa and he helped people, uh, and was charitable. And so, but 
um, his that was only good in a relative sense. Uh, and the bottom line is, if you didn't, if you're not the elect doing it for God, then it is sin. Everything so sin almost becomes who you are instead of what you do. If you're not one of the elect and you cheat on your wife, that's sin. If you're not one of the elect and you're loyal to your wife and sleep with her, that's sin. Every single thing you do, all of your life is sin and you can't do anything good. Go ahead. Also coupled with that, um, and, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I think, um, isn't it also an idea of total inability? Um, yes. Not just inability to do good, but inability to to ask for help, inability to even want um, help or salvation. It's just it's just a total inability Uh-oh. to do anything. Yeah. You don't have the capacity to deliver you from your sins. You don't have the capacity to do anything but evil. In fact, let me read from uh, Palmer. He talks about non-Calvinists. There's a word to use for them, uh, but he, he says they have the idea that man can ask for help. The Calvinists, however, quote, would compare man who is one who jumps off the top of the Empire State Building. He is splattered over the sidewalk uh, and is splattered over the sidewalk. That man is dead, lifeless. He cannot even desire to be made whole. Uh, Or somebody drowning in water. He says the Calvinist realizes it's like this. He is at the bottom, quote, of the ocean in the Marianas Trench. Uh, The weight of the water on top of him is six tons for every square inch. He has been there a thousand years. Sharks have eaten out his heart. In other words, the man is dead and totally unable to ask any lifeguard to save him. So he uses the language from Ephesians 2, you were dead in your sins, to mean you were unconscious, spiritually unconscious. Uh, That skeleton at the bottom of the ocean can't ask for help. That's unregenerate man. And that's you and I, because I'm assuming, well, I'm not assuming, I know that you and I are not Calvinists, so we are the un-Calvinists. It would probably depend on what Calvinists you're talking to. I remember talking to a Calvinist who he said God gave him the ability to look out at the church and tell who was, say, elect and who wasn't. Now, that's not typical of Calvinists. Uh, But if you are not one of the elect, you cannot ask, you can't believe in God, you can't be sorry for your sins, you can't come to Christ. Okay. All of that is good, and you can't do anything good. Okay, you're using the term that he uses, one of the elect, or you're not one of the elect. That brings point number two. Good, All right. Okay. We need to speed up here because we've got to get to refuting this stuff. Go ahead. All right. Total depravity. You're born with Adam's sin, and so you cannot do anything good. Everything you do is evil and wicked. Unconditional election. The Bible, does the Bible talk about the elect? In yep. Ephesians yes. and elsewhere? Romans? Yes. Yep. And the chosen in Christ? Yes. They say it is an unconditional election. That is that everybody is 100% sinful, and God chose, I'm going to make that one uh, saved. I'm going to make that one saved. I'm going to make that one saved, but the rest don't have a chance. And then that leads us to limited atonement. Does the Bible talk about atonement? Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. Book of Romans and elsewhere talks about atonement. Well, they say it is limited. It is limited to those people that God picked out. And then he's going to give grace. So here's all the, let's, let's 
picture it like rotten apples, okay? So everybody is a completely rotten apple. It's nothing but worms and poison and rottenness, okay? And out of all these horribly poisoned apples that there's not a sound spot anywhere or anything, it, uh, God picked out, I'm going to say that one and that one and that one. And then who did Jesus die for? Those three. Now, how, what's he going to do to fix them? He gives them irresistible grace, and they are now going to be good apples. Now they're going to be sorry for their sins. Now they're going to believe in God. Now they're going to want to call out and, and serve the Lord. And they have no choice because it's what? Irresistible. irresistible. Right. And then lastly, perseverance of the saints, which uh, in some Calvinist objects is terminology, but a lot of people who believe in the, the theory of one thing always saved, use this phrase himself, it simply means once saved, always saved. Now, there's a certain consistency on this. If nobody is able to believe in God, if nobody is able to be so, truly have a godly sorrow for their sins, then what would the election have to be? What kind of election would it have to be if some were going to be elected? It would need to be unconditional. Yeah, yeah. Because it wouldn't be, okay, I'm going to save the ones that are sorry for their sins. I'm going to save the ones that when Jesus says, come unto me, they want to come to him. I'm going to save the ones that bless those that mourn. If, if they'll mourn for their sins, I'll bless him. If it's unconditional, it's unconditional. And so then if it's only those that he unconditionally picked, then the atonement is obviously going to be limited. limited. Yes. And then the grace that he gives to those horrible and nothing but worms and poison apples, it's, it might as well be irresistible. And just like the other ones can do nothing but go to hell, these will be able to do nothing but go to heaven. Go to heaven. So before going into the scriptures, here's what I'd like to point out. A lot of the problem here is the adjectives. Does the Bible, and there we go, does the Bible talk about depravity, people being sinful? Yes, it does. Yeah. Uh, most translations might not use depravity, but if you just mean sinful, wicked, does the Bible talk about wickedness and sin and corruption and iniquity? Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Does the Bible talk about the elect? Yep. Yes. Does it talk about atonement? Yep. Mm -hmm. Does it talk about grace? Yes, it does. Yes. Does it talk about being saved? Yeah. Yes. The problem here is the extreme adjective applied here. So let's go through them one at a time. Can you think of somebody in the Bible that needed to be saved because like you and I and everybody else, he had sinned, but there was some good in him and he was interested in God. Cornelius. There are a lot of examples, but yeah, Cornelius in Acts 10. Yeah. So, and what did the Acts chapter 10, what does the angel say to Cornelius? Uh, Acts 10, I'll start reading in verse 1. It says, at Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort, a devout man who feared God with all his household, who gave alms generously to people and prayed continually to God. At the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come to him and say, Cornelius. And he, stare, he stared at him in terror and said, what is it, Lord? And he said to him, your prayers and your alms has, have ascended as a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon, who is called Peter. He's lodging with one Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. Okay. And the angel spoke to him, departed. All right. And when Peter gets there, Peter talks to him about what? The remission of sins. Verse 43. 
talking about Jesus, let's start in verse 42. He charged us to preach to the people and testify that this is he who is ordained of God to be the judge of the living and the dead. To him, all the prophets bear witness. Through his name, everyone that believes on him shall receive remission of sins. Wait, wait a minute. Your translation yes. says everyone? Yes. Everyone that believes on him shall receive remission of sins. That doesn't fit with the lim uh, the limited. But I'm, you're ahead, I'm ahead of the game. Go ahead. Going to say the Calvinists will say yes. Everyone that believes on him will get remission of sins, but the only ones that are given the ability to believe on him are the ones that are unconditionally elect and given irresistible grace. Oh, that's how a Calvinist would answer that. All right. So uh, Jesus. So why would Peter be talking to Cornelius about that Jesus provides remission of sins? Because he needs because Cornelius needs remission. Yes, yes. Because while Cornelius had done some good things, like the angel said, what obviously had Cornelius also done? Everyone does evil things. Yes. So Isaiah 53, all we like sheep have done what? Fallen away. Gone astray. Yeah, gone astray, each to our own way. And the Lord laid the iniquity of everyone on who? His, his Yeah, yeah. Or Romans 3, 23, all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So that would include Cornelius. Yet the angel said, God has noticed your prayers and your alms. So I presented this one time to a Calvinist preacher, and he said Cornelius was already saved. Mm -hmm. What did Cornelius say? Look at chapter 11. When Peter is retelling this, he talks about what Cornelius told him. Read, please, Acts 11, verse 13 and 14. And he reported he to us. us how he had, oh, sorry, go ahead. Uh, go, ahead go ahead, John. Uh, and he told us how uh, he had seen an angel stand in his house and say, send to Joppa and bring Simon, who is called Peter. He will declare to you a message by which you will be saved, you and all your household. Okay. So Peter was going to tell, Cornelius told Peter, the angel told me to call you so that I could be saved. Yeah. Was Cornelius already saved? No. According to what you just said, the other fellow, the preacher said he was, but in this case, he wasn't. Right. So who should we believe, the Calvinist preacher or the Bible? I'll believe Peter. I'll believe the scriptures. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's the way to go. All right. So. There's a difference between saying we've all sinned and does depraved and wicked things and saying that nobody can do anything good or want to turn towards God. In fact, how much of the Bible is telling us to turn towards God? Oh, you can't put a number on it. So constantly. Yeah. yeah. All right. Let's move to the next point. Um, the next point, unconditional election. Uh, so here we go. The Bible over and over talks about the elect. Let's look at Ephesians chapter 1. And Ephesians chapter 1, it's going to talk about God having foreordained us unto adoption, chapter 1, verse 5. And it says in verse 4, even as he chose us in him. Who's the him? Jesus Christ. Yeah. So it talks about God chose us in Christ. And in Romans, it talks about uh, Christians being the elect and such. 
But uh, what we've got uh, coming up next year, there's going to be an election. Uh, when, you, when you talk to Calvinists, they automatically think the word election means unconditional. Uh, are our pol political elections unconditional? No. Now that doesn't prove whether or not biblical election is, but let's look at 2 Peter. 2 Peter chapter uh, 1, and it talks about the things that we are to add into our life. Starting in 2 Peter 1, verse 5, what are some of the things that we're to add into our life? Well, let's see. For this very reason also, applying all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence and your moral excellence knowledge, and in your knowledge, self-control, in your self-control, perseverance, and in your perseverance, godliness, and in your godliness, brotherly kindness, and in your brotherly kindness, love. And in verse 8, it says, if these things are yours and abound, they'll make you not to be idle or unfruitful. Now, before we go ahead, what did Jesus himself say about those in him that don't bear fruit in John 15, the vine and the branches? Yeah. The branch will be cut off, thrown into the fire? Yeah, yeah. Uh, if, if you won't bear fruit, he says, you'll, you'll be cut off and thrown into the fire. All right. If we'll do the things in this list, it says we won't be unfruitful. Well, what if we refuse to do the things in that list? Then we would be unfruitful. And then it, admonition to do well is continued in verse 10, where it says, brethren, give the more diligence to do what? To make certain about his calling and choosing. Ooh, and choosing you. Ah, uh, what translation is that, Drew? Uh, this is a uh, New American Standard. Yeah, that, I thought that was a New American Standard. I, I think they've missed it on this verse. Okay. Uh, what do you have, uh, Jonathan? I've got the ESV. It says, therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. Do this to confirm your election. My translation says... Uh, uh, to make your calling and election sure. And you want to see where else this word is used, this word for sure? Uh, it's going to be over in the book of Hebrews, and I'm going to ask one of you to pull that up. If you'll pull up the Greek word there from Second uh, Peter 1.10, where it says make your election sure or confirmed. Check and see what that Greek word is, and we're going to look and see how it's used over in Hebrews chapter 6. Well, in the, the, uh, of the soul. In, in the New American Standard, um, in, in uh, Second Peter, the word is eklos, and I don't know if I'm pronouncing it right, but it means chosen or election. It's E-K-L-O-G-E, -E, eklos. Not, Not that word. The word, the, the New American Standard here uses, makes certain, oh, uh, I think, I think confirm or sure is, is a better translation. Okay. Yeah. Mine says certain. That's be, uh, Bebeos, B-E-B-A-I-O-S in the Greek. Um, I'm not looking at the Greek right now, but uh, go to look and see if it's used in Hebrews 6. What, um, here, I've got this right now. Scott. What verse in 6? Hebrews 6. Okay. It's about we have an anchor of... Uh, um, I'm in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 19. Hebrews 6, verse 19. I've got it on the screen. The soul, a hope both sure and steadfast. Yeah, there you go. So you see that there on the screen? 
Yeah. Hebrews 6, we have an anchor and it's steadfast, sure and steadfast. What does it mean to have an anchor sure or steadfast? Solid, immovable. Dug into the ground below, it's caught, it's, it's yeah. stuck there. <laughs> yes, you don't want an anchor just kind of dragging along. That's not going to do the job of an anchor, right? Mm-hmm. You know, in other words, right. who, would, who would use an anchor of a beach ball? <laughs> that's not going to stabilize the boat and keep it in one spot. You want an anchor that'll be sure. Like, have you ever tied a knot? or telling, teaching a, uh, a boy how to tie a knot and say, make it sure, right? Make it sure, all right. So we have this anchor, sure and steadfast, made like that. That's the word that's used over here in Peter. It's when it says, if you do these things, you'll make your election sure. Does that sound like election is conditional or unconditional? It's unconditional. Unconditional. Election is conditional. All right, let's go back to our list. Um, limited atonement. According to Calvinism, Jesus only died for these people, and he didn't even die for other people. I had a Calvinist actually laugh in my face when I said God loves everybody. He actually laughed out loud. Oh, my. God doesn't love everybody. According to Calvinism, uh, the, that's... Uh, that God only died for certain people. I want somebody to turn to 1 John 2 and read verse 2. It says, he is, he, and this is talking about Jesus, he is the propitiation for our sins, but not on, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Okay, so John is writing to Christians, and he says in verse 1, my little children, these things write unto you that you may not sin. If any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ righteous. He's a propitiation for whose sins? Our sins, referring to himself, the Christians there. And not only for ours, but also for whose sins? The whole whole world. world. A a little part of the world? Uh, Not a limited part of the world. Scott, he's probably talking about, because John was a Jew, so in the R, he's probably referring to R as Jewish sins and the whole world, the Gentile sins, but still the elected. Yeah, sins. so Jonathan is presenting the Calvinist argument there. That's exactly what Calvinists say about this. They say this doesn't mean that Jesus died for the Christians and also for the non-Christians. No, 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 no. They say this means that Jesus died for the Jewish Christians, our sins, and also for the Gentile elect. And so they, you, they say that the whole world means the elect Gentiles. Our sins means the elect Jews. Whole world means the elect Gentiles. That sure is reading a lot into the scripture there. It's reading a whole lot into the scripture. First off... That would be an interest. Go ahead, Jonathan. I was going to say that, that would be an interesting idea. Um, but there is also another place in First John where he talks about the whole world. Yeah, and there's nothing in this epistle to convince us that this is written just to Jews. In fact, I'll I'll tell you how we can tell it's not written to Jews. Look at the very last verse of the book. What does he tell them to stay away from? Idols. Yeah, in the first century, now, if you were talking about in the time of Manasseh, you know, it would have been 
good admonition to Jews to come stay away from idols. But in the first century, who was having problems with idol worshiping, the Jews or the Gentiles? The Gentiles. The Gentiles. So this is not written to Jews, it's written to Gentiles. And we also have this same distinction between us and the whole world. Somebody read that for us there in chapter five, uh, what, verse 19? Verse 19. And 20. It says, we know that we are from God and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And we know that the son of man has come and given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true and his son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. And then he tells them to guard yourself from idols. So talking to Gentiles, he says in verse 19, we are of what? God. And the whole world belongs to the evil evil one. So in first John, the we is us, the Christians, and it's a Jew writing to Gentile Christians. And the whole world is the world outside of Christ. It's the lost. Uh, and so in First John 2, when we see how John uses this language, what did he mean when he said Jesus is not just the propitiation of our sins, but also for who? The whole world. Sins of everyone. The whole, the whole world. world. All humans. Yeah. Uh, can you think of some other passages that, sh- that say that God doesn't want people to be lost and he wants them to be saved? Just one page back in Second Peter uh, chapter 3. Um, he says in verse eight, do not overlook this one fact that the, um, that with the Lord, one day is a thousand years, a thousand years is one day. And then in verse nine, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises. Some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. All right. So, uh, God doesn't want people to perish, but what's going to keep them from not perishing if they refuse to repent. And over and over the Bible says repent. Peter said in Acts 3.19, repent so that your sins can be blotted out. Acts 2.38, repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Ezekiel 18, you know, God doesn't want the death of the wicked. Repent and live. Uh, And how about one from Timothy, where it talks about God wanting people to be saved? Uh, 1 Timothy 2, I think. Um, I don't remember the verse. Yeah, verse. start with verse 3. Uh, this is good and pleasing in the sight of God, our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Okay, so God wants people to be saved. God wants people to repent. Is everybody willing to repent? No. no, but that's not God's desire. He wants all to God, be saved. God calls us to repentance, and we have to choose whether or not we repent. Scott, uh, Scott, I'm sorry to interrupt you here, but so far, all of the scriptures indicates the very opposite of what that list is. Exactly, exactly right. So, so do they say then we don't need the Bible? And if they say no, we do need the Bible, then why do we need the Bible? Because I have nothing to do anyway. I, I, there's nothing I can do about it. Well, they say if you're one of the non-elect, there's nothing you can do about it. But if you're one of the elect, 
then God picked you out from the beginning and he gave you the ability to believe on him and gave you the ability to understand the Bible and gave you the ability to do the Bible. So you're supposed well, to do but, it. But wait a minute, wait a minute. If he picked me from the beginning and I had no choice in the matter, I really don't need the Bible. No, they wouldn't say that at all. No, they but that's that. the implication. No, they would say you. it's part of the tools God used. For instance, uh, do you have ears on your head? They would say, yes, God designed those ears. He could have made creation differently, but he created you with ears. And then you're told he that had the ears, let him hear. And then God gave the word. And according to them, the only ones that can hear with their ears the word of God are the ones that the Holy Spirit enables to. But they say that you have to use the word of God, but it's meaningless to the people who don't have the spirit. And that that sounds up. like a condition. Wait a minute. That sounds like a condition. Well, they will say salvation is conditional, but election is not. Mm-hmm. Oh. In other words, see, if you, let's, say, let's say the three of us are viewed from Calvinism. So two of us are going to be unelect, and we have no chance of being saved, and the other one has to be saved. Who wants to be the one that's saved? All right, I'll go. Make it you, Drew. Okay, so Jonathan, you and I are born guilty of Adam's sin. The, the minute we're born, we're evil, wicked sinners, and all we'll ever do in life is sin. Can we ever feel sorry for our sins? No. no. Can we ever believe in God? No. no. If we're going to go to hell, nothing to do about it. And God, this is according to Calvinism. God picked you out, and so at some point, the Holy Spirit gives you the ability to understand good. Because remember, this book said the problem with the unelect, they not only can they not do good, they can't even desire good, and they can't even understand good. And Calvinism says that God gives you, through the Holy Spirit, the ability to understand this. Jonathan and I don't have the Holy Spirit, according to this illustration. And so we can, this is just, we can't understand it. But the Holy Spirit makes you able to understand it. And the NIV mistranslates a verse to support this Calvinism. We'll get to that in a second. Go ahead, John. Um, along the idea of the limited atonement. I'm sorry, I think I froze for a second. Along the idea of the limited atonement and how, how God feels about all people, it's not that God doesn't want, it's not that God chooses, I want some people to, to be lost forever and I want some people to be saved forever. That's totally opposite from the whole picture of the God of the Bible. Um, and there's a comment that came in, um, and this isn't just a New Testament idea. This is how God has always felt. He, he wants all people to be saved. He doesn't, he doesn't take pleasure in the death of the wicked or things like that. And so he uh, quotes um, Brad on Facebook, quoted from Ezekiel 33 in verse 11, where God is speaking. And he says, say to them, as I live, declares the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn back, turn back from your evil ways. For why will you die, O house of Israel? And there are, there are countless other passages that we could go to showing the character of God, that God doesn't, he doesn't want people to suffer. He doesn't want people to die. He wants all people to be saved. Right. right. And, uh, um, I don't have time to develop this, but I, I need to mention it. According to Calvinism, God planned every single thing that every person is going to do entirely. Uh, so it gives examples in the book here. Every time a girl's heartbeat, God planned it and caused it before the foundation of the world. Every mistake a typist makes, typographical mistake, was planned before the foundation of the world. 
every time somebody laughs is planned before the foundation of the world and sin. Every sin was planned by God, caused by God. God decided they would do that sin, planned them to do it, and caused them to do it. And it says at the end of the book, and if we start talking about this a lot, we won't have time to get anything else, but it says at the end of the book that uh, the question may come to your mind, why would God be angry at sin if we're doing exactly what God wants us to do and plan for us to do? And he says, and I can't find the right page here and we're running out of time. But he well, says, Calvinist, the Calvinist admits that his position is foolish and illogical. But then he gives a footnote and it says, to the mind of man. But oh, my goodness. Basically. All right. So let's get on with our chart here because um, we need to get these last things. Where's our share thing? All right. So, um, irresistible grace. According to Calvinism, remember, uh, if Jonathan and I are not saved, we're that skeleton at the bottom of the ocean. And so when Jesus is saying, he that has ears to hear, let him hear. What do we hear, Jonathan? Gurgle, gurgle, gurgle. You hear water bubbles. Yeah, we, we don't even hear that. Shark ate out our heart a thousand years ago, it said. You know, we're just, we can't respond. But Drew, in this illustration, can because God had picked him according to Calvinism. And so, bam, the Holy Spirit comes, and you can now understand the Word of God. And this is how the NIV mistranslates 1 Corinthians 2. Before you go there, before you go there, so I really don't have any free will on this. No, no. Calvinism is against free will. So I don't have to do anything because it's out of my control anyway. Unless you're one of the elect and God makes you do things. That's what I'm saying. I, I yeah. don't have any tools. Oh, my goodness. All right. So somebody turn and read First Corinthians 2, verse 14. We got to do this quickly. because In fact, get it up on the screen for us. First Corinthians 2. We'll have a race here so you can get it up first. Stop your share screen, Scott. Okay. All right, John, right. yours. <clears throat> which one do you, which uh, verse Let's do you want? Two, verse 14, and give us the King James to start with. Ooh, All right, can you I'm see that? Use this layout. Um, let, I don't know how to use this one. Let me go to Blue Letter Bible. Sorry about that. I should have specified. Do you want to share the blue letter Bible? Yeah, I had it here. All right. All right. Can you guys see my screen? Yep. Yep. All right. So, all right. So here we go. And while you're pulling that up, I just want to mention uh, we had another verse uh, come in, which is interesting. In Jeremiah um, chapter 13, um, verse 23, um, we had a comment on Facebook. Um, says can the ethiopian change his skin or the leopard his spots then you also can do good who are accustomed to do evil and that's just another example um of i mean we decide what path we're going to follow god does not force us into uh, a particular way of life but, yeah there's so many contradictions to this theory that I, that we're seeing just in this brief uh review 
Let's look at it. We've got just enough time to look at this first Corinthians 2 passage. So this is kind of important. So I'm going to go to the NIV. Remember, the Calvinist that we've been quoting from was uh, executive secretary for the NIV. Look what they did here with this verse in 1 Corinthians 2.14. Can you see it on my screen, everybody? Yeah. Yep. The person without the spirit does not accept the things that come from the spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are only discerned through the spirit. So if you're not one of the elect and the Holy Spirit hasn't come and regenerated you, you can pick up a Bible, you can read the nouns and the verbs, you can read God so loved the world, you know, uh, but you will not understand it, you can't accept it, you can't understand it because you don't have the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit becomes like a decoder ring. Once you have the Holy Spirit, now you can understand the Bible. And this verse is used to teach this. And this is a very bad translation. Let's look at it again. The person, what kind of person? Without the spirit. Look how many times the word spirit occurs here in the NIV. One, two, three, right? Okay. Okay. This one is not there. That's not what it says in the Greek. Here's the Greek. All right. It says, but a sukakos man does not accept the things of the spirit. Here's our Greek word for spirit, pneuma, from which we get pneumonia, pneumatic, has to do with the intangible quality, wind, etc. So the sukakos man, we'll come back to that word in a moment, doesn't understand the things of the pneuma, the spirit, their foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they're spiritually, and then here's a, a, a form of the word pneuma in, I believe, an adjective form here, or maybe adverb, looks like, um, uh, talking about that. Where did, why'd they put this other one in here? They're saying that this word means without the Holy Spirit. And let's, that's not what that word says. It, there's not a Greek word for without and spirit. It's this sukakos, which means, um, let's look and see how this word is used. It has to do with being carnal or sensual. For example, here in James, uh, such wisdom doesn't come down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic, et cetera, et cetera. Um, sensual is what the uh, uh, American Standard, which is a better translation of it, has. So what the Bible is saying there is that natural men don't care about the Word of God. It's repeating the same thing it said early in 1 Corinthians 1 when it said to the Greeks, the crucifixion is foolishness. Yeah. The gospel is foolishness. Have you ever had a conversation, gentlemen, with an unspiritually minded person? And you talk to them about what Jesus did, and to them, that's just nonsense and foolishness. Oh, yeah. 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 And that's what Corinthians is saying. But the NIV makes it say that that's a person who doesn't have the Holy Spirit. Well, um, that's not what it says. So let's look at it in a different translation. For example, let's go to the American Standard, which is a very good translation. 
And it says the natural man doesn't receive the things of the Spirit of God because they're foolishness to him. Again, that's what it said back in 1 Corinthians 1, where it said, we preach Christ crucified to the Jews stumbling block to the Gentiles foolishness. But it's not that having the Holy Spirit automatically means that you're mature or you understand. Because who's Paul writing to when he writes 1 Corinthians? Christians. Yeah, where? Christians in Corinth. Corinth. Christians in Corinth. And are they mature or immature? Um, oh, very immature. Yeah. Do they have the Holy Spirit? Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yes. Do they have spiritual gifts and speaking in tongues and stuff like that? Yeah. Yes. Yes. But look how immature they are. Go down like three verses and he says, brothers, sisters, I cannot address you as to people who live by the spirit, but as well, let's change, get out of the NIV, get something better. Uh, brethren, I can't speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, as unto babes in Christ. I fed you with milk, not with meat, for you're not able to bear it. Even now you're not able. You're still carnal. There's jealousy and strife among you. So they've been given the Holy Spirit, but does that mean that they're acting spiritually? No. no. Yeah. So you can have the Holy Spirit and still not be understanding and still be behaving. Have, you can be given a gift of the Holy Spirit and still be behaving badly as it were at Corinth. Or you cannot have the Holy Spirit yet, but be turning towards God. What did Cornelius do? Yeah. He feared God, and he was giving alms and praying. And what did God say? I've noticed that. Send for Peter, and he'll tell you about Jesus and how you can be saved. And lastly, let's just look at it on the day of Pentecost. When Peter gets up and preaches those people on the day of Pentecost, are they already saved? No. 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 Everybody turn to Acts chapter 2. And we're going to have to save our last point on Calvinism for next week, once they've always said, or week after, we'll decide later. Um, Acts chapter 2, in verse 36. Peter tells these sinners, let all the house of Israel therefore know for sure that God made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus who you crucified. Verse 37 says what? When they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brethren, what shall we do? Yeah. What shall we do? And what does Peter say? Does he say, well, there's nothing you can do. If you're unelect, you got no hope. And if you're one of the elect, the Holy Spirit's going to do this to you. Uh, flies right in the face of that theory. Peter said, repent and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, for the promises for you and your children and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord your God to call to himself. And with many other words, he testified and exhorted them, saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. Then they that received the Holy Spirit were baptized. Is that what it says? Yeah. So received oh. his word. No, received his word. Yes. Let Go back up here to verse 36. Let all the house of Israel know He's just preached to them. Does he expect them to understand the verbs and the nouns that he used? When he said Jesus was raised from the dead, did he expect them to understand that? Yeah. When he quoted the prophecy, when he said, we saw him, did he expect them to understand those nouns and verbs? Yeah. Yeah. No. When he said the miracle that you just saw came from Jesus, did he expect them to understand those nouns and verbs? Yes. And when they heard this, 
Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. Mm-hmm. So you come to faith through the word. You, it's not that you have to have faith and already be a Christian before you can understand the word. But it, the word brings us to faith. When they heard this, they said, what do we need to do? And he said, repent, be baptized unto the remission of your sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So even before you have the gift of the Holy Spirit, sinners can do what? Hear and learn and respond to the gospel. And we'll just end with a reminder, Jesus died not only for all sins, but for whose? The whole world. Sorry we went over time, and I delayed us a couple times there. Sorry about that. We'll get to point number five, once saved, always saved, in another broadcast. Thanks a lot, Scott. Appreciate it. And everyone else, we invite you back next time. We come, we will be doing this again next Tuesday on another topic, probably. Uh, if you have any more questions or comments based on what you've heard in this in this uh, program or on the podcast, if you're listening, please let us know. Text us, email us. We, we would love to hear from you. Thanks, thanks everyone. Have a great week, and we'll see you next time. Thank you very much.